Welcome to another A Positives Insight podcast. Harry and myself had the pleasure of interviewing Ross Clennett today. Harry, what did you think of today's podcast? Yeah, I thought it was great today, Brendan. I, I really enjoyed Ross talking about the personality traits that are common among team members of high-performing teams and also leaders of high-performing teams. What about you? Yeah, excellent. I agree with that. I also did like the part about business coaching, which probably does get underutilized by a lot of businesses out there that they can use for their growth and strategy. So everyone out there, I hope you enjoyed the podcast as much as we did. Uh, please like, share it through LinkedIn. Uh, we do want to increase our reach. Thank you. Yeah, welcome to another A Positive podcast. Uh, Harry Chambers and myself are joined by Ross Clennon. Hello, Ross. How are you today? Good day, Brendan. Very well. Excellent. Very well. Good, Good to see Harry. Likewise, Ross. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, great. So I guess to get, give a bit of background, uh, can you just give us a bit of an overview of you know where you've come from, mm -hmm. career recruitment, where you are now, and the choices you made to, to set up your coaching company? Sure. Well, I'm originally from Hobart, yeah. and I went to university there, finished my degree, did an economics degree, uh, no one offered me a graduate job. So I went on all the graduate interviews on campus. I didn't get a single offer. So I failed my first recruitment test. And one of my mates was heading overseas. He was doing medicine at the University of Tasmania. And as part of his final year, he was going to Germany to do an internship because he was born in Germany and spoke German. And so he wanted to gain some medical German. So he said, I'm going. Do you want to come? I'm like, sure. And we flew to Hong Kong and then we did the trans, uh, well, it was the Trans-China Rail up to Mongolia. And then we got on the Trans-Siberian and went through what was Soviet-era Russia and went to um, what was then Leningrad, St. Petersburg, uh, Moscow, and then finished up in London. So that was four weeks. And I thought I was going to stay for a few months, but... When I worked out and saw that I was spending pounds like dollars, I thought I'd better get a job. <laughs> so I went to this uh, party like you do in Earl's Court as an Aussie uh, in the uh, beginning of 1989 and uh, met a guy there who actually I'd played cricket with in Hobart. And he said, oh, this recruitment agency got me a job. You should go and see this recruitment agency. So I went in and saw uh, the recruiter. Anyway, she started talking to me about recruitment. And here am I at the age of 22, Never worked in an office, didn't really kind of understand it. And they offered me a job and I thought, oh, okay, the money sounded good. It was six and a half thousand pounds plus commissions. So this is, uh, you got to remember 30, 32 years ago. So I took that job and that was with accountancy personnel who later became known as Hayes or changed their name to Hayes. So that's how I started. Uh, I started with Hayes um, in London. I had nearly two years, went back to Australia was offered a job by, well, actually, this will show you how different times were. So I had had all that experience in London. And when I got, got back to Australia, things were so tight in the recruitment agency market that they didn't have a job for me. So they didn't offer me a job. And I went and saw this guy I'd been introduced to, this guy called Greg Savage. And <laughs> so Greg offered me a job. And it was a temporary accounting recruiter. So I'd worked as a permanent accounting recruiter in London. So I started as a temporary accounting recruiter in the middle of January 1991. And that's how I started. I was then I was sort of five years as a recruiter, 
when my boss left, I was promoted into her role. And then I took over the business support temp team. Then I was asked to go to Adelaide to set up the business in Adelaide, which I did, despite having never, ever been to Adelaide before. Have um, Came back to uh, Sydney, and then I was the assistant GM of the national recruitment business. By that stage, Recruitment Solutions had listed on the stock exchange. The founding CEO resigned. The new CEO was not someone I saw eye to eye with, shall we say. Yeah. And uh, uh, we had a couple of robust conversations and ultimately that led to me uh, resigning. Not really what I wanted to do, but I just felt I was in an untenable position. So I resigned. My wife at the time and I um, decided to move to Melbourne. We had our son, who at that stage was, I think, 22 months old. Our daughter had just been born. She was like seven or eight weeks. So we packed up the car, drove to Melbourne. I worked for a couple of different recruiters in uh, Melbourne. And then I, my, my marriage broke up and I decided I needed something with a lot more flexibility. And that's when I decided to start a recruitment training business. So it was all face-to-face, like workshops to start with. And then the GFC hit and everyone stopped spending money on training and that's when I decided to go on to online. So I started my rookie recruiter training program as a webinar-based program. So that was in about 2010 mm-hmm. and then I've added on uh, advanced recruiter mm-hmm. program and leadership coaching for high performance which is a team leader program and then I've evolved into coaching owners. So I, I coach owners mainly of what I would call micro-sized recruitment businesses. So it's either the uh, owner as a startup, so just them, and sometimes two or three or maybe four employees. And then I also do conference speaking, uh, speak at um, industry conferences or do internal conf- uh, con- conferences and then uh, my blogging. I mean, I don't get paid for that. And as you know, I've just recently started a podcast with Adele last. Um, so there you go. That's uh, the last 33 years <laughs> in about four minutes. Yeah, that's fantastic. Like so many of us, we, uh, we always say we fall into recruitment. But I think you've got to have special traits, you know, to actually be, well, A, to get picked by a recruitment company to be identified, but then mm. also to succeed. So the fact that you're able to do two markets, different states, and then obviously build your own business is, uh, is testament to you. It's, it's excellent. So... Uh, what we'd like to focus on is maybe start focusing around sort of, you know, building high performance teams and so forth. So mm-hmm. the question I've got is um, what sort of characteristics do you see in the high performance teams that, and the sort of effective leadership that support those? Well, there's really three core elements that are a function of leadership. So firstly, you've got to set expectations. You've got to have clear expectations. In other words, results, activities, behaviour. Those have to be clear for everyone. Everyone has to know their role. And as uh, you would have heard from Ben Darwin at the recent RCSA conference, when you get that right, you have cohesion. And I have been fortunate to have been part of a high-performing team, and we absolutely had that cohesion. So that's the first element. The second is accountability. And it's not just accountability to the person who leads the team, but accountability to yourself and to your colleagues to be someone that, for example, if there's a team meeting at 8am, that you're concerned to be there at 7.59, not to be like, ah, it doesn't really matter if I arrive at 8.03, like, you know, what the hell? It's like being accountable for, if we have a culture of, we start team meetings at eight o'clock, then I'm gonna be there at eight o'clock. 
So everyone has that degree of accountability. People tend to think of accountability as something that a leader does to you. And of course, there is an element of that, but it really starts with personal accountability, feeling that you want to uphold the standards of the team because you're proud to be part of that team. And then the third element really is the, um, the motivation to be better. No matter where you are, striving to be better, always looking for those small things that you can do as an individual and as a team to be better. So those are the three things that I see as the components of a high-performing team. Yeah. So just uh, focusing on being better, is, would you say there's a difference between people optimising their work and then more achieving it the same sort of, well, being better basically, or, or is it kind of go hand in hand? Well, there's you've got to um, strive for not beating yourself up when you don't succeed or okay so let's use a typical recruitment example you think you're going to make a placement the candidates making all the right noises you put the offer and then the candidate turns the offer down okay so it's easy to kind of go well the candidate should have told me that they had these other offers or whatever it might be but ultimately the only thing you can do is learn from that experience to go I can't expect the candidate to tell me everything what questions could or should I have asked to explore what else that um, candidate might have been considering? So there's that element of being critical about where things aren't going well right in front of you and then also investing in your development to keep progressing your skills for the next challenge. Yeah, it's interesting. I think going back to that, that point around accountability, um, I think every team I've been a part of um, I've been fortunate enough that my superiors have had a high level of accountability and my colleagues as well, and especially at the moment with, with Brendan and, and Darren and Ross at, at A-Positive. Um, I suppose you've been a part of a high-performing team and, and in your coaching you talk to, to leaders about to, how to build a high-performing team. Mm. Um, it, it obviously takes a lot of self-awareness to have this accountability and, and I'd say like emotional intelligence as well. What other factors do you see as common traits in, mm -hmm. in high-performing teams? Achievement drives is very important. <clears throat> Competitive spirit, like yeah. you've got to be someone who's motivated by results because recruitment is binary. You either fill the job or you don't fill the job. Like there's no halfway filling the job here. And when you don't fill the job, it's got to hurt because you don't get paid for the work if you don't fill it. And if you're someone who's like, ah, you win some, you lose some, it's like, nah, you're not gonna make it as an agency recruiter. It's gotta hurt. You've gotta to wanna to fill the job. It's gotta hurt when you lose. You gotta be determined not to lose the job next time. Not, not with a view to you know, being unethical or anything like that, but it's just that level of drive, that, that uh, high standard that you have for yourself in generating results is there. Now, you can't train that into someone, basically. Like, someone's either competitive or they're not. You can't develop competitiveness, maybe at the margins, mm -hmm. but either people have that competitive drive or they don't. Mm -hmm. So to me, that's the first thing. Related to that is being coachable. Like, you've got to take feedback. You've got to be someone who's willing to invest in your own development, to listen to hard messages from, you know, maybe your boss, candidates and clients, colleagues, about getting better. Resilience, obviously it's a very challenging industry where some days are great and other days are not 
and you've got to be able to manage your emotions and just dust yourself off and not spiral down and not drag other people uh, with you. And the final element is really that team element. Like you've got to be a team player, particularly on temp and contract. For perm, you can you know, probably get away with having the lone wolf type personality there. But for temple contract where you can take and lose a job very quickly, that team element is absolutely critical. So they're, they're the other things that when I work with uh, agency owners and we're talking about their own recruitment, they're the things that I highlight that they should be looking for and satisfying themselves that the people they're hiring into the job of a recruiter have those competencies. Oh, look, I think I was told on my second day in, in agency recruitment that it's champagne and razor blades. Mm. Everyone knows that. It's, uh, it's so true, right? Um, I suppose you, your career has been in recruitment. Do you, do you look at any other industries to pull in their best practices and apply it to recruitment at all? Or do you think recruitment's its own beast? Uh, well, I'm always interested in high performance <clears throat> anywhere. And again, going back to the Ben Darwin presentation, the things he shared about high-performing teams in sport, very, very similar to recruitment. Because in sport, as in recruitment, the scoreboard does not lie. You either win or you lose. You either fill the job or you don't fill the job. You either win the game or you don't win the game. You either win the World Cup or you don't win the World Cup. So it's, it's very binary like that. So I think there's a lot that we can learn from sport. And some of the best books that I've read and gained the most from are books that are based on uh, successful sporting cultures um, and there are you know, a couple that um, are like that. Legacy by James Kerr is a book that, if anyone's interested in high-performance teams, James Kerr talks about the All Blacks culture and about what they've done uh, to ensure a high-performing culture. And So I think sport, probably. Um, I don't know, because I've never worked in any other industries. It's a bit hard to really know, but because I'm a sports fan, that's probably the obvious place that I look to. Excellent. Okay, so I guess we, we talk about sort of having a high performance team, having a leader that you know, has sort of traits of professional intelligence and so forth to help drive drive that culture. What about sort of having external mentors or where businesses try to have a mentoring program uh, for you know across different teams and so forth mm -hmm. within the same company? What are your thoughts around that? Uh, th they absolutely can work. Uh, certainly what I know from my experience is whether it's mentoring or coaching, there needs to be a framework or a structure to it. It can't just be, oh, I'll catch up with this person every so often and have a chat, like probably better than nothing. Yeah. But in my experience, whether it's coaching or mentoring, having an agreed framework, having an agreed time frame, having agreed roles, having agreed goals, mm -hmm. Are all, port, uh, are all important parts of a successful program when you're dealing with some sort of external coach or mentor. Excellent, excellent. Okay, and then I, I guess, you know, you, we see a lot of our leaders basically go out and set up their own agency. They come to sort of hire their own consultants and so forth. Um, sometimes they don't get it right the first time and they give mm -hmm. up and they mm -hmm. just basically say, I can build a lot more by myself. Mm -hmm. So look, is there sort of certain programs that you would recommend to these people to implement at all? Uh, it kind of sounds odd to say, yeah. but the first thing any recruitment agency owner should do 
if she or he wants to grow a recruitment business is create a framework or a process for their own recruitment. Because what I find is recruitment agency owners have been great at recruiting for their clients, but are actually pretty terrible at recruiting for themselves. And why do they do that? Because they go on gut instinct. They have a chat to someone. Oh, Brendan seems like a good boy. Oh, Harry's optimistic. He's, you know, chatty. We'll give him a go. Rather than, well, let me really drill into Harry's achievement drive. Has he really got the level? How coachable is Harry? Let me ask some competency-based questions to understand his coachability. Like, it's pretty basic stuff. But being clear, what are the competencies that I need to satisfy myself that the candidate has? And then ensuring you've got some documentation to support that. And in fact, the immediate coaching session before I've met with both of you is actually going through this with a recruitment agency owner. Do you have your own recruitment process? Pause, slight sheepish look. Oh, no, I don't, Ross. <laughs> right. Okay, let's start with that. Just a, Even just a one-pager is kind of better than nothing. This is the criteria. What are the three reasons that I think this person will succeed working for me? What are the three question marks or the reasons this person may not? How do I explore those? Maybe it's a second interview. Reference check. Maybe it's appropriate to do some sort of profiling or psych assessment. Like, it's just the lack of discipline that most recruitment agency owners have around their own process. That's what holds them back from growing their business at a faster rate than they do. Excellent. Yeah, interesting. I, I suppose, leading on from that, like, business coaching isn't a one-size-fits-all recruitment. We're seeing certainly more and more high-billers, high-performing recruiters are stepping out on their own and hmm. providing a more niche uh, niche service and a and are really partnering with their their clients. How, how do you approach business coaching and and what do you see the primary role and, and does that evolve as the business grows? Hmm. Well, firstly, I I don't call myself a business coach. Um, I'm a high performance coach because I'm working with the individual, and the the role of a coach to kind of just provide sort of the major. Um, sort of points in considering a coach. Firstly, a coach helps a person, so in this case an owner, clarify their goals. So the people that hire me as their coach, they have a particular goal or they have some sense of what they want to accomplish. So before I start working with them, I have them articulate specifically what they want to get out of working with me. The second thing in working with a coach um, that I help the owner with is looking at their resources which is so what, what i mean by resources is when you're looking to grow you're only going to do that leveraging the invest the existing resources so resources such as cash the people that you've got the database that you've got because to give you a specific example a recruitment agency owner goes oh i've got this opportunity to hire this person to start a new division it's going to cost me 150k say to bring this person in salary plus guaranteed bonus da, 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 da. they've got all this network <clears throat> so i might say okay great so what sort of existing database do you have for that person to work with oh nothing okay so you're going to pay them 150k and they're going to have to create a database from scratch. Yes, that's right. What about your existing database? How well do you think you're utilizing the candidates there? Uh, not very. Like, okay, so an example. 
So of the candidates in your database, so firstly, how, how many might you have? They might go uh, 15,000. So how many of those would you and your team have contacted in the last 12 months? They go, mm, maybe 1,000. Okay, so you've got 14,000 people on your database that you've not spoken to for 12 months. So do you think it's better to spend 150 grand on the salary of someone to try and create a database from scratch of candidates and clients? Or do you think it might be better to pay 80K to have someone just ring all your candidates and try and generate candidates who are now active again? Hmm. Okay, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about it like that. So that's what I mean by resources, having someone think a little bit differently. Great if they got 150K to invest in a salary, but what if they invested 80 and used their existing resources within their database? And then the third thing is helping the owner see more options, which I suppose is just what I've gone through as an example. What, what resources do they have and what options do they, they have rather than, for example, starting a new office in Sydney when you've only got eight people in Melbourne? And if you've got space to add four more people in Melbourne, why wouldn't you add four more people in Melbourne first rather than taking office space in Sydney and hiring people that you're going to have to fly up and see? And to that point, help the owner think not just about, oh, it'd be great to be in Sydney because we've got Sydney-based clients, to say to the owner, so if you're my owner, go, okay, Brendan, so are you prepared to spend one to two nights away from your family every week or every other week for the next year? Like... And if you're okay, what about your family? Have you spoken to them? Oh, I hadn't really thought about that. Okay, well, you know, because opportunity cost is a big thing in being a recruitment agency owner. There are many things that you could do, but what's the opportunity cost of that? And not just in a business sense, but in a personal sense as well. I think, I think that's um, really interesting as a somewhat of a question without notice, but just going back to optimising your resources, uh, at the moment we're certainly seeing a lot more tools and AI and, and automation and data cleansing and all that sort of stuff um, coming through recruitment and we're seeing a lot more partners come out. Uh, are you seeing a real shift from the, the businesses you work with into spending so much on automation that they're forgetting about the bare bones of recruitment and actually picking up the phone? and? and making calls or going out and seeing clients? Have you noticed much of a shift at all? Uh, well, I'd say they're probably distracted by the possibilities of tech. So whether they're investing in it or not, they're thinking about it. And it's always like the shiny new thing. It's like, it's interesting. Everyone else seems to be doing it. I better be paying attention. And I'm not saying that people shouldn't, but it's more about, well, what are the core parts of my business that have been the foundation of my agency's success for the last year or two or three or four or five. Like you've got to make sure you're still keeping your eye on the ball there rather than being distracted by spending a lot of time on tech or, or AI. So my, my view is pretty simple. It's just got to be proportionate. Yes, they should be interested, but if it's consuming four days a week for five, six, seven, eight weeks in a row or months in a row, then I'd be saying that's probably not a good use of their time. They need to be much more disciplined about allocating some time, but not over-investing. Yeah, it's a really interesting perspective. I'm seeing the same thing as a lot of, uh, or certainly in the last six, 12 months, a lot of agency owners with, with smaller teams, that sort of mid-tier, uh, they're saying, look, yeah, we're investing all this great tech, 
but then we're actually not picking up the phone and, and going out on it or going out on a BD call. Hmm. Um, so it's really interesting to hear your perspective. And I think that's where the coaching comes in <coughs> because ultimately as a business owner or you know, senior personnel, you get trapped in the day-to-day and not so much over and over. When something hmm. shiny comes along, you sort of hone in on it like a fish with a lure. Hmm. So with a coach with an outsized perspective, can literally take that away and get them back to basics and keep them on that high performance track. Well, it's, it's helping the owner think whatever tech or frankly, whatever it is, how do you think this could help your business strengthen an existing advantage? Because as was said at the uh, conference, um, tech should help you from a foundational point of view, but the real strength and leverage will always be the human relationships of recruiters. So the tech should be helping recruiters uh, by giving them more time to spend in conversations, meetings with candidates and clients. And if it's not doing that, then I'd question really what value it's adding. And you're so right, Brendan. A lot of it is like keeping up with the Joneses. It's the shiny, shiny new thing. We said, oh, everyone's using it now. I better see mm. what this is about. That doesn't mean it's necessarily bad. But as you say, Ross, pause, think, is this what we actually need? Is this going to optimise our, our mm. operation? How, how, how will it make our job easier? How will it make the customer experience better? How will it make us more profitable, not just in the near term, but in the, the long, longer term? I mean, they're all questions that the owner needs to be asking themselves rather than just rushing to make a decision because they feel like it's the arms race and unless they invest that they're going to get left behind. Excellent. You've given us so many good points today, but uh, can one question I'd like to ask is, can you provide an example of a business that you've gone into as a coach where they haven't had a coaching structure before? And you've seen significant improvements in areas like productivity, profitability, even employee mm-hmm. satisfaction or anything mm-hmm. like that. Well, there are, I mean, there are three examples that I can name because each of these owners has written a LinkedIn yep. recommendation and yeah. they've, said, they've said these things. So they've already said them publicly. So yeah. I, I know they'd be fine for me to share them. Uh, so Renzo Habashi, Renzo is a Sydney-based recruitment agency owner, and he his business was called Veracity Talent Solutions. And I started working with Renzo, it was probably about five years ago, and he hired me as his coach at the very beginning of his journey as a recruitment agency owner. And the thing that I helped him make a decision on was his market niche, because he had come from uh, print recruitment, and he was considering doing kind of quite generalist recruitment. And when I had a conversation with him and talked more about uh, the things that he was interested in, he was uh, a property developer on the site. And so we we spoke a, a little bit more about his interest there. And what came out of it is that he actually had an interest in construction and property. And to cut a long story short, what I helped him decide was that he was going to specialise in luxury residential construction recruitment. So not just construction, but luxury residential, well, in Sydney, in, in fact. So that niche that he decided on, and I've spoken to him subsequent to our coaching finish, he still says that was the single most valuable thing that came out of our program because 
he now can take and fill jobs so quickly because he just knows exactly the sorts of candidates that the builders who are in that space in Sydney are looking for. What they're prepared to pay, he gets great candidate referrals. So that's, I think, one very clear thing that uh, Renzo got. Um, Mark Medellis owns a business called Consentus in Brisbane and they do uh, project managers and mining engineers and related uh, contractors uh, in the mining space. And Mark first worked with me in a public program of mine called Leadership Coaching for High Performance. And at the end of that, he hired me to work with him one-on-one. And at that stage, it was himself plus, I think he had a part-time admin person. And what Mark really wanted to do was to create a foundation for his business in, in setting up, back to my earlier point, a proper foundation for his own hiring. And from that, to actually set up a proper foundation for job descriptions, performance appraisals, a way of specializing people into niches. And when we finished our coaching, he was, I think, then at seven employees. And I think when I spoke to him most recently, he was at 14 or 15. And I don't have his permission to say his contractor numbers, but I think I can say that from when he started with me to where he is now, he's grown them by a factor of six or seven. And he's got a very um, successful business. Um, So I think it was that foundational work with Mark. And again, that's what he said in the LinkedIn recommendation. Um, and with a couple of agency owners here in uh, Melbourne, Greg, ba- Greg Brown and James Kennedy at Calibre. So they do uh, IT vendor recruitment, sales, BD people. They'd hired a couple of people into their business, just, oh, they seem like good blokes, let's give them a go, been a disaster. So I work with them in the same way that I work with Mark to help them set up their own internal recruitment process to create documents and a discipline around their own hiring. So they're now at about I think six uh, staff. So they're, they're just some examples where I don't call it business coaching. It's, it's helping the owner think about the foundations of what's going to drive growth. And the most important thing in any recruitment agency is the hiring of their own recruiters. If you do not get that right, if you do not have a successful way to bring through people through your own recruitment process, you're never going to grow as quickly or as profitably as you otherwise would. Yeah, so interesting. It goes back to what we were saying earlier, the leadership level and individual level. It's self-awareness. Mm-hmm. It's just self-awareness of your own company's needs and where you're at and, and what you need. Um, I suppose that there's plenty of, of business coaches out there and, and some are uh, broad-ranging, similar to recruitment agencies. Some are abroad, some are very niche, some are within the industry. Um, a lot of the feedback that we get today is positive working just with recruitment and labour hire is that we mm. truly understand the industry and, yeah. and that is our, our point of difference that, that we've all had experience in recruitment. Brendan and I have both been temp recruiters um, and, and we get it. Uh, what, what's your comment on uh, getting a business coach from within the industry versus outside mm. of the industry? Well, the advantage in any industry of working with a coach from the industry is you don't have to explain things. Like, no one has to explain to me 
temp recruitment or contract recruitment or permanent recruitment or terms of business. Like I know all of that from all of my experience. And although I'm confident I could go and work in other sectors and provide some value, would it be as much value as my work in the recruitment industry? Well, I don't think so, because I don't understand those industries. Like I've never worked in those sectors. So occasionally people contact me about work outside of recruitment. And I mean, nowadays I just generally say no, because I just feel that I'm so niched in my sector that I, I don't want to go into a field where I just don't know enough about that. So although I would certainly say to people who are thinking about um, coaches, certainly meet with and talk with coaches who may be across a range of industries because they've always got something that they can offer, but then consider the people who've got the industry experience and what advantage or maybe disadvantage because people who've been in the industry can, and I've got my own, I'm sure, limitations about the way I see things. And people from outside the industry would go, well, you know, why are you doing that? Whereas to me, it might be obvious, but it might actually be a good question to ask the client why they're doing that. So I don't, um, subscribe to the view that they have to have industry experience. I think any owner should consider people both within within and outside. But most important, get a recommendation you know, from someone who's also worked with a coach. What did you like about working with that coach? What did you get from working with that coach? What advice would you give me about working with a coach or selecting a coach? That's fantastic, Ross. So, um, look, we know that business relationships is always two-way, just like recruitment. You know, you, there's not just one person, one side to the story. So, people probably contact you to be their coach. What is it that you look for in someone that approaches you to be for you to be their coach mm -hmm. in terms of qualities for you to accept to mm -hmm. become their coach? Yeah. So the first thing I do um, after, so either they'll contact me by email or they'll call me. So if they call me and I pick up, I might, depending on how much time we've got, ask them a few questions, but I'll always want to set up a more formal meeting, which is what I will do when people who contact me by email. A critical part of that meeting is that they complete a questionnaire. So I have a very simple questionnaire. It's about five questions, uh, simple things such as, um, what are you hoping to accomplish through coaching? What would be the specific results that would tell you that you've accomplished that? Uh, have you worked with a coach or mentor before? And if you have, what have you got from it? I want to see whether they're prepared to fill out the questionnaire, how much thought that they put into those answers. And from those answers, I can tell whether the meeting is likely to turn into a new coaching client for me because it's all well and good to say you want these things, but are they prepared to put in the time? How coachable are they? Because it's time, it's money, and they've also got to be prepared to change their behavior. And I've sacked people because they say one thing and they do another. And they're wasting my time and they're wasting their time and their money. And I don't want to do that. I, I have no interest in working with someone just to get a coaching fee. I only want to work with them if I can see that they're committed to actually putting into practice the things that we work on. And so although it's uncommon, I have terminated coaching relationships because it just it just wasn't working. Yeah. 
Good note. Um, I suppose um, it's been great chatting with you, you Ross. Uh, one thing we always like to, to ask at the end of, of these podcasts is often people listening to these are either high billers, high performing recruiters looking at going out on their own or established agencies looking at growing. Uh, what's the one piece of advice that you would give to, to those sorts of people? Talk to people who have been there, done that. No, really, if, you know, if you're thinking of setting up on your own, to talk to other people who have recently gone out on their own. Ask them, um, what do you know now that would have helped you succeed faster or have made some different choices? People generally are very happy to share if you ask them. So that's, that's probably one, one of the things that are very important. And also, there are a lot of free resources. So you don't actually have to have an individual discussion with someone. You can listen to interviews and thankfully there's quite a lot of free resources, podcasts such as this, such as my podcast with the Dells and other podcasts where there are many discussions with recruitment agency owners and other high billing recruiters where you can hear from their experience. And if you can access those resources for free, why the hell wouldn't you access them and just consume as many as you can and learn as much as you can. Yeah, it's definitely got to plug the uh, our e-books. So yeah. we've got to, got to plug the recruitment startup e-book. But you're so right. All, all the podcasts out there, you can fill up hours every day. People in this industry are very generous, really. And you've only got to see how much is available for free to know that um, without even spending any money, there's a lot that you can learn from the experiences of other people. Great. Well, thank you for your time. That was very informative. Um, yeah, it was amazing. I really appreciate it. Pleasure, Brendan. Harry, any time. Yeah. Thanks. It's been great.